You know, there's um, always, always um, alternatives in life. And I want to talk of alternatives. You know, there's um, always, always um, alternatives in life. And I want to talk of alternatives this morning. I want to go on with what I shared on Friday. Um, if you want a name for it, it's called spiritual warfare. Um, so often... Uh, we talk of it, uh, um, and um, just like you to do something, close your eyes, put your hand on your chest, and just repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus, this word's for me, not for my neighbor, not for my friend, but for me. Let me open my ears, my heart, my mind, and receive your word. Amen. Trouble is, when you talk to people, they always think it's for someone else. Got to change your lifestyle. That's what it's about. Um, you know, in the beginning was the word. A word was with God. Same was in ah oh, well, you know you know the scripture. Uh, I want to go from a different angle this morning because um, I want you to hear. I don't know that you will, but I want you to. When creation was in the beginning God made everything good Adam Eve the garden everything was good nothing evil no death everything good and that was a wonderful state and then came a serpent more subtle than the beasts of the field and when he came he brought a temptation with him which often isn't appreciated that God said to Adam subdue the earth take dominion over the birds, the air fish, you know he didn't take dominion over humanity didn't say take dominion over your wife he said take dominion so if you want to take dominion over anything get a dog uh, man has to you know that, that when the fallen nature comes they want to control other people that's devilish God never sent us to do that And when everything was beautiful in the garden and this subtle serpent came and he said, you know Eve 
He said, don't you understand? God's depriving you. You see, you don't need to just serve him. You could actually, if you just took of the knowledge of the fruit of good and evil, you could actually be like him and you could know him. But already they were made in God's image. It was a lie. But you see, what, what Eve didn't understand through the subtlety of the serpent was what, what the devil was saying is there is another way. And there's always an alternative way. And the devil through history has never stopped offering man an alternative to God's way. What he offered Eve was an alternative to the way of God, the word of God. He was saying, look, you don't need to obey this word. You could be like God and you could make your own choices. You can make your own decisions. You can decide for yourself. That was the temptation that came. You don't have to submit to this God. One third of the hosts of heaven have been caught by his subtlety. The cherubim, the covering cherubim. The one who in heaven thought he was the most beautiful and he said, I'll ascend to the throne on high. He said, I'll take over from God. Can the creature say to the creator, I have no need of thee? But always he wanted to usurp and always the subtlety was change things. And the subtlety today hasn't changed at all. And the first Adam faced the temptation and he fell. But the second Adam, our Jesus came. And the temptation was identical. And I want to talk about it because you see he was tempted in all points like as we yet without sin. And, and the temptation was far more subtle than people seem to realize. And that's where the whole of the warfare is. Today as never before, the church has fallen victim to the subtlety. And when you fall victim to the subtlety, you lose what God intended. And all over the world, people have moved away from God's way to an easier way. And that's where the problem lies. They don't understand that that subtle serpent is offering an alternative. He comes as an angel of light. His messengers are transformed into apostles of light, angels of light. They're not coming now with evil things. They're coming and they're giving an alternative method. And that's where the whole subtlety lies. If you go back into Luke, you'll find the story of the temptation. And in the story of the temptation, Jesus had fasted 40 days. It wasn't a ritual thing he did. It was just he went 
and he was went driven by the spirit into the wilderness and he was there there was no uh, food around <laughs> he went on his own and he was communing with God and the communing with the Holy Ghost and it just so happened that he didn't really think about food didn't think about anything he knew his messianic call he realized because he heard a confirmation from heaven thou art my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and he knew he was called and he knew his purpose and he went into the wilderness and he began to commune with this mighty God of heaven. Forty days and forty nights he stayed and marveled at his God and then the serpent came. God had spoken to him and revealed to him in Revelation what should be. When you read the book of Revelation, realize it's the revelation of Jesus Christ <laughs> God gave. You do understand that Jesus needed the revelation of what should be. And in those 40 days and 40 nights as he was in the wilderness, God began to open up to him everything and show him what should be. Show him what he had to do. The Spirit of God ministered to him in the same way that when Paul was struck off, a, off his ass and and he learned, he went blind for three days, God opened his eyes, then he went, and he went into the wilderness, and he began to see, and he began, he didn't confer with flesh and blood, he got his revelation from God. The man told him, he, he, he'll show him what things he's going to suffer, for thy name's sake, and, and you see, Jesus knew. And at the end of those 40 days, Along comes the serpent. And the serpent's message was, there's an alternative. There's an alternative. You see, you've got divine power now. You've got the gifts now. You've got the opportunity now. And the first thing he said, because on the 40th day of fasting, hunger returns, natural hunger returns. It leaves after the third day, and, and it returns on the 40th. I'm only telling you that from uh, other people's experience. I have never fasted 40 days. I never will. Uh, I just want to assure you of that. If I fast two days, I get visions of McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, I mean... I don't fast and pray, I pray fast, it gets things done. I do not believe in afflicting my soul, I believe in doing what God says. The true fast of God is to let the oppressed go free to heal the sick. Uh, Isaiah tells you what the true fast is. And that's what the subtlety of the Satan is. He's come along and he's got people to be spiritual. They're so spiritual that they're always praying. You know, the devil's not frightened of prayers. You do understand that. That doesn't bother him. What bothers him is when people start to live what Jesus said they should live. That's where he's in trouble. 
When they begin to speak what they hear from God, that's when the devil's in trouble. But when you just go and you uh, pontificate and pray and waffle, oh God, bless me, bless mine, bless mummy, daddy, us for no more. Uh, I mean, that's not prayer. But that's how many Christians are, or they have their little shopping list. I'm talking to you. That's nothing to do with prayer. Prayer is communion. Nothing to do with, with uh, petitioning. And I believe we should pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks. That's the acceptable will of God. But waffling on and being spiritual, God gets fed up with. You do understand that. I'm not against prayer, I'm against your type of prayer. See, Jesus, the, you know, if you read the, the Gospels, you'll discover he wasn't uh, a mystic. He didn't disappear all the time. The multitude were around him. There was a time when he drew the, the disciples apart for a season, but a very short season. There was a time when he prayed all night. There was a time, do you know, he said that, um, and you want to understand this, when his disciples, and he was f facing Calvary, and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, could you not pray for an hour? That's enough. Now, if Jesus says it's enough one hour, don't spend a week praying. You can do more in an hour with sense, of sense and, uh, and truth and reality than you can do in ten years. I've never stayed up all night to pray. I, I don't think that's a very good thing to do because normally I spend my time trying to stay awake. There's always an alternative, isn't there? And the devil comes along and he says, Hey, as Jesus' hunger returns, he said, Look, now you've got this power. Do you realize who you are? You're the creator of heaven and earth. It's going to be nothing for you to just turn to those stones and make them bread right now. And you can get rid of your hunger right out of your body. You need food now. You've fasted 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> you've got it. God's already told you. You know who you are. All you've got to do is just turn these stones into bread. You've got the power to do it. You've got the authority to do it. See, the devil came along, not with some wrong thing. There's nothing wrong with feeding Nothing wrong with eating. The truth is, Jesus could have turned those stones into bread right then and there, and it would have been the best bread on earth, wouldn't it? Huh? <laughs> but he, he turned around to the devil and he said, No, he said, man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of them. You see, there was another scripture that contradicted it. There was a balance. The devil was saying, hey, you don't have to do it God's way. You see, you can be independent of God's counsel. 
That's exactly the temptation he gave to Eve. So he starts with that. Let me give you an example, all right? Hear me. This is just an example. This is a simple example. I meet a lot of Christians who say they're running a business, say they're running something, and they get into debt. And the more successful they are, the more debt they accrue because they can afford to pay the mortgages. And it sounds fine. And if you challenge them, they'll say something like this. All the Bible says, take no thought for the morrow. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, and what you shall put on. Fine. All sounds great. See, they're saying, well, I'm not worried about tomorrow. I can live today. I can, I can afford to, to pay high mortgage. I can afford to do this. I can afford to do that. Hey, but just a minute. The Bible also says, owe no man anything. Save to love the brethren, doesn't it? Uh-uh. You see, the devil says there's a way. God says, no, there isn't. Because God's word and God's way is higher than ours. But the devil always gives us an easy route. Hey, you want a new car? You can afford it? Look, what are the payments? Off you go. And you stretch yourself to the limit. And the limit becomes too limiting. You want a new washing machine, you want a new fridge, you want a new... Hey, you can have your new computer, you don't have to pay anything for nine months. And so, up and up, go. you've got a credit card, Barclay card! <laughs> Plastic will get you anything. But the Bible says, oh no man, anything. Save to love the brother. Isn't it amazing? I mean, did Jesus get it right? Oh, but you say, you don't understand in the modern world if you're going to run business, if you're going to... Oh, yeah. God didn't know about the modern world. I mean, he was there from the beginning, and he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And of course, he didn't know, did he? Circumstances change, they say. I don't think so. The pain is that it's a today culture. I want what I want today and no one's going to stop me getting it. Why? You can. I mean, you know, I, I, every week I think uh, a letter drops through my uh, letterbox and it's some new credit card. Some new person who wants to give me £25,000. Um, and it's going to be APR 7.6% or APR 2.5% for eight months or APR. I don't know who the ape is. <laughs> Tell you what I do with them. I tear them up and throw them in the bin. I tear them up and throw them in the bin. I get all the junk mail and the junk mail becomes what it is, junk. I don't bother to read it. I dump it tell you why <laughs> there's a God in heaven and he said 
Don't live that way. It's funny how Christians forget the scripture because they take just one verse and suddenly you know it's okay. Take no thought for the morrow. Hey, you know, if I buy it today, it's going to be more valuable in the future. Yeah, but you're disobeying God. Say, well, I've got to live somewhere. I need a mortgage. So, you need a mortgage. Pay it off as quick as you can. Get out of debt. Don't owe any man anything. Because the banks will own you. You won't own yourself. But then I find people take a second and third home and they say, oh, you can make a profit now, just rent it out. Sure, you can make a profit renting it out, fool. I know you need somewhere to live. I'm just trying to say to you, living up to your eyeballs in debt is stupidity, isn't it? Hello. Because the interest rates change, the economy changes circumstances change and suddenly wang and I tell you this a lot of people are rich to go bankrupt it comes with all deceivableness the devil's out to destroy you <laughs> you think as I said that, that your wealth is, is kind of your high tower and your wall but it should be the name of the Lord we looked at that in Proverbs the other night first temptation came to Jesus you don't have to do it God's way just an example I'm giving you I'm talking to you Do you think God wants the best for you? Then don't you think his warnings are worth heeding? Hello? I, I, you know, I, I just see so many people live like fools. You can always have the devil give you a reason for living the wrong way. But you will always find a day of reckonings right around the corner. What a man sows he's going to reap. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew he'd come with a purpose. He'd spent 40 days, 40 nights communing with God. And then along comes the devil and says, Hey, Jesus, you don't have to go this way. There's an easier way to get what you want. Hey, Eve, you don't have to go this way. Hey, you know, you don't have to deny yourself the fruit of the knowledge you could. You could be your own man. You can be your own woman. You don't need to go and listen to what God says. You can make your own choices. For instance, you're an independent person. 
Jesus, you have all power, all ability, all gifting. You can do anything. You don't have to do it God's way. And that's the temptation that comes to the Christian. Oh, you're saved. God will bless you. Whatever your hands find to do, you don't have to live by his principles. Uh, no, no, you don't understand there are other principles. And then he begins to twist them a bit. Only subtly. Because he comes as an angel of light. And he offers you an alternative to God's way. To get the same results, the results will be good. Trouble is, the source is wrong. That's how he operates. Hadn't changed. Full of all deceivableness. You see, the thing is, I can wait. I don't need to instantly gratify my needs. I can wait for God. God's my provider. God's my source. God is the one who said he provided. Why do I jump and take the devil's route when I can wait for God's and it'll be eternal? But that means denying yourself. Well, there's a lot of things in life you could deny. You don't need them. Uh, it's just you want them. Instant gratification. Advertising's built on it, isn't it? Society and the spirit of the world is built on it. You need this. You can't live without that. And in the end, you get trapped in this ever-increasing debt you know the mark of the beast is upon people so they can't buy and sell oh dear 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 yeah well that's where people are trapped in their buying and selling he knows the one way to destroy Christians is financially don't get caught in it because I tell you he'll manipulate you quicker than lightning that way he's got a superior intelligence to you you're not smart enough to outwit him you know the one thing Jesus would never do would be use his supernatural power for himself That's what the devil wanted him to do. Just take that power and gifting. Hey, you can use it for yourself. Terrible thing, isn't it? Second temptation. You know... God's promises to the test. 
He's given his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against a stone. <laughs> you know, let's go. And he carries him up to the top of the temple. He said, cast yourself off into the abyss. That's the deepest place the Jews all knew about. It was 323 feet, if you want to believe it, down from the pinnacle down, I say. I don't know if it was. That's what they say. Doesn't say that in the Bible, that's what archaeologists say. And every Jew knew, sight from the pinnacle down. And here's the devil, and he's saying, hey, hey, you know, if you want to cast yourself down, it's written, he'll give his angels charge. You see, you need to prove that God's really who he says he is and his power's really there to do what he says. You know, it's time to prove God. I meet a lot of ministers who take up challenges to try and prove God. But if God hasn't called you to prove him, you're a fool if you try. I remember listening to an old man, well a young man he was, but I suppose he's... Anyway, someone told him he could raise the dead. And he heard that someone had died in the town, so he took someone else and he went there to raise the dead. And he knocked on the door and he said, I've come to raise the dead. He was a greengrocer. Got hold of the scriptures, greater works than Jesus you're going to do. And so he decided he was going to do them. And he was a greengrocer. He knocks on the door and all the family's grieving and the corpse is upstairs. And he says, well, I've come to raise him from the dead. So up he goes. The people were a bit shocked that he'd arrived. So up he goes. And he's, he, when he told me the story, it's funny. He went up into the room where the corpse was and the moment he opened the door, he said all faith left him. And he could not find any faith at all. He tried. The corpse didn't hiccup. It remained what it was, dead. And he crept down the stairs and out the back door before the family knew he'd gone. And it shattered his faith. God didn't call you to prove it. Now there's another man I know, Benson Ederholzer. He got a bicycle and rode around till he found someone that was dead. And he raised them from the dead. God, God put it in his heart to do it. This other guy read a scripture and claimed it. You better know God's telling you before you start using supernatural power. Amen? Hearing what I'm saying? Otherwise you come unstuck, don't you? I find a lot of ministers go and they think they can do things they can't do. I can only do what God tells me to do. If he doesn't tell me to do it, I won't do it. End of story. I can't heal the sick. I can't do anything. I know someone who can. His name is Jesus. He lives in me. But I tell you who controls that power and flow? God. The day I take hold of it is the day I'm in trouble. The day you take hold of it is the day you're in trouble. We're here to obey the master. What I see God do, that I'll do. What I hear him say, that I'll speak. Apart from that, I'm out of it.
I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't like his name taken in vain. Don't claim it to be God. Say I feel if you want to say I feel this or I feel that. Don't use God's name. You say are you against the gifts of the Spirit? Oh no I believe in the gifts. I just don't believe in a lot of people that pretend to operate them. God came to make his church stable. Third temptation. <laughs> you know, lots of people don't understand the third temptation. When, when Jesus was carried up into a mountain, the, the devil showed him all the glories of the earth. And three times Jesus calls Satan the God of this world. You see, the one thing Satan wanted to be was God. The one thing he wants to imitate is God. The one thing he wants you to believe he is God. The God of this world. And so he comes along and he shows Jesus the glories of the earth and the glories of the nations. And then he says to him, he says, Jesus, if you'll just worship me, what did he mean? Will you compromise? Will you just make... He didn't mean, are you going to fall down and swing some incense and say your prayers and... jabbering tongues and, and kind of get all hyper emotional that's not worship that's someone jabbering in tongues and getting hyper emotional God didn't call us to relegate our brains to nothing God gave you a brain to make decisions with you know a lot of people turn off their brain don't they you see Jesus, I'll give it to you all. All of it. You can have it. And I want to tell you the devil's temptation is just compromise. You can have what you want, providing you do it my way. And the subtlety of it is, he's offering you the good at the end, but taking away the moral choice to get there. And the moral choice is to obey God. You see, he's offering you an easy option. And the easy option is to do it the devil's way. Now, he comes as the God of this world. He comes with all deceivableness. He, he makes it seem it's right. There's a way that seemeth right unto man. The end thereof is is what? Destruction. But it seems, you see, Jesus, do you realize you don't have to go the way of the cross? Hey, Jesus. Look, I'm the God of this world. You don't have to give up everything and humble yourself and go the way of death. 
I know God said so, but I want to tell you that I'll give you everything. I'll yield everything to you. You know, you can have the kingdoms, you can have the glory of the kingdoms, just no Calvary. No Calvary. You don't have to deny yourself. You don't have to obey God the Father. You don't have to listen to him. Look, I'll make a pact with you. See? I'll give it to you. I realize I shouldn't have tried to usurp it, but now I'll give it to you. You know, you just got to let me back in. You've got to understand that I didn't really mean what I, what I did. I, I, and I want to yield it all back to you so it can be yours. You don't have to go, Calvary's. I know God the Father said it, but, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's no need for you to suffer. You know who you are. You couldn't take sin. No, 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 no. You don't have to taste death for every man. You can avoid it. You're too good. And so the devil pleaded with the Son of God. See, what he was saying is compromise with me. You know, sin isn't really that bad. I mean, you, you know... You don't have to taste this. I, I, I'll, I'll yield everything to you. I'll give you. It's mine to give. I'll give it back to you. I'll surrender it to you. I shouldn't have taken it. I, I'll give it. But you know, you you just got to be prepared to accept me for who I am. Got to be prepared to accept it the way it is. That's what the temptation was about. See, there's just choices of two ways. The wisdom of this world or the wisdom of God. Say, but the wisdom of God, it takes more time. <laughs> it, it, it takes a cross. It takes death. You remember when Jesus walked the way and, uh, and one day he said to his disciples when they got the revelation of who he was. And, and it happened the same way. Jesus just had 40 days and 40 nights. He's been talking with Father, communing with God. And all of a sudden the devil comes up to give him an alternative. And here he is. Peter hears from God. Thou art the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who was to come. And then Jesus begins to tell him, yes I am. I am who you say I am, but... I want you disciples to know that there's Calvary coming. Even though I have all power and could do all things, even though I created heaven and earth, I've come with a purpose to lay down my life and die and shed my blood for all mankind that there might be restoration. And Peter rises up and he says, Far be it from you, Lord! No! And Jesus turns to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. I recognize that spirit and that temptation right where it came from. Same thing. You see, if the devil can take Calvary and the blood and the atonement out of the gospel is one. If he can take Jesus out of the limelight 
and put the Holy Spirit in his place, he's one. If he can get men to believe anything but the truth, he's one. You see, you don't need to be in want. You can have whatever you want. You've got the power. You don't need to suffer. I'll make you popular. I'll fill you. I'll give you a mega, mega, mega church. Just get rid of these teachings. I'll tell you, one of the biggest mega churches in, in, in America, you know, I heard the leader, and one of the things he said, we've stopped talking about the things that offend people. The cross, the atonement, the shed blood. He said they're just Christian jar jargon. He said when you reach out to the lost, you don't want to put them off by using Christian jargon. And I sat there and I listened and I thought, that's devil talking. I tell you, Making a friend of a man doesn't make him a Christ man. Calvary. The cross. Self-denial. The blood of Jesus. The atonement making us one with him. The forgiveness, the cleansing. They're the essential part. A man's a sinner. He needs salvation. He needs to deny himself. Take up his cross and follow him. Ah, oh, but, you know, let's get a rock, Christian rock group together. We can attract the lost. Let's, let's, um, I was over in Holland and one of these so-called Christian rock artists, he said to me, oh, one of the things we've done, we've taken out of it, we, we, we give a, a moral tone to all our music, but we don't push Jesus or, or the cross or the gospel. It's just a moral tone. That's the way we reach people. You don't reach people for Christ that way. You can make a club and call it a church. You can make a, a, a nice group of people and they can come every Sunday and be told, yippity-doo-dah, yippity-day, Jesus will give me everything, doing it my own way. Uh, and that's what they're really singing. And it becomes a, an emotional freak-out. Says the man at the front, give me $50, God will give you a thousand. He'll give you 50,000. Plant it in my pocket. God will bless you for it. What a con. I mean, that's awful, isn't it? Hello? I just think that's appalling.
Do I believe Christians should give? Of course they should. Do I believe in tithing? It's a biblical principle. Obey what God says. Stop your nonsense. What I don't believe in is manipulating God. Hey, there is no easy way, friend. Do you know how you come into salvation? I'll tell you how you do it. It's in the Bible. It's good we've got a book, isn't it? I just... Um, <laughs> 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 21, says this. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. How did it happen? By the foolishness of preaching you see it wasn't by falling down and compromising with the devil it's not by changing the gospel 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23 how you're born again I'll tell you how I meet a lot of people you know modern evangelism is based on making friends with people that is an evangelism. What you're building is a club, not a church. See, and showbiz is now trying to capture people and win them to Christ. But my Bible says it's a foolishness of preaching. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Romans 10 Verse 17 says this, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In 10.8 it says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. The word of faith which we preach. Hey, it's faith! But it comes by the word of God. Doesn't come by an experience doesn't come by a decision it comes by God sovereignly birthing you with an incorruptible word that bursts forth in your heart and suddenly you know and then you start to speak and believe that's how your life comes not some experience of oh, well I went up there and this man laid his hands on me and I fell what happened? I fell yeah, but what happened? Well, I fell. Into what? Well, you know. God deliver us. You see, the devil is always bringing man's solution. Let me give you an example. In America, they all want success. Success is the motivation. You see, and the devil is prepared to give it to you. He'll give you wealth, he'll give you glory, he'll give you everything. There's just this compromise you have to make. It's called, take the cross out of Christianity 
don't tell people there's Calvary. Tell them Jesus suffered, but tell them you don't have to be like him. You don't have to go his way. What a thing. And so you've got a teaching over there that's very prevalent. It's called the Jethro Principle. Now when you get a mega church or the church begins to grow, you better have a method. A methodology has replaced spirituality. And it's doing the same in this country. And this Jethro Principle is one of the big teachings. Now I want to share something with you about Jethro. I've shared it before, but in Exodus 18, you'll find it. Exodus 18. This is man's solution, not God's solution. You see, right at the start, the devil came to give an alternative. And all through church history, there's alternatives. And I'm coming to church history in a minute. Um, but in Exodus 18, and it came to pass on the morrow in verse 13, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, what is this thing that, you're, that thou doest? to the people why sittest thou thyself alone and all the people stand by thee from morning until evening and Moses said unto his father-in-law because the people come unto me to inquire of God hey Moses this is too much for you and then Jephro says well I'll tell you what to do appoint captains good men Appoint them and let them take charge. Now, of course, they did. Trouble is, God didn't say it. Jethro did. And Jethro was a priest of the Midianites. And it wasn't long before Moses went up the mount, and when he came down, they'd made a golden calf. And guess what? The Midianites worshipped a golden calf. And the leaders led them in to the worship of the Midianites. Why? Because it wasn't God's advice. And so often they don't read their Bibles and then they say, well, we've got to appoint house group leaders. We've got to have cell groups. We've got to have this. We've got to have that. Who said so? Oh, well, it's too much for one man. Who said so? I'll tell you this. Moses was a type of Jesus in typology. I know people say, oh no, it was Joshua. No, it was Mo Moses led the people out of bondage, didn't he? Joshua led them into the promised land because Moses disobeyed. Great mystery. I don't want to, I will go into that sometime. But in this, here, here's Moses, okay. He's working away. And, and years later, God comes and says something different. And you'll find that over in um, Numbers 11. 
Go with me to Numbers 11. Verse 11, And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favour in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth a sucking child unto the lamb which thou swear unto their fathers? Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? You know, and there's an argument about that. Oh, dear God, he's saying. All this people. Okay, now. Let me look on. I just want to, I don't want to read it all, but you can read it when you get home. Um, Verse 15. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Moses was in a self-pity party. I I mean, lots of pastors went, I mean, having you as a congregation... Oh, God. I mean, you know, you look out sometimes and think, have I got to put up with that shower? Sunday morning, Lord. You know, there's, I'm just giving you a kind of abbreviation. It's not what I think, but it's in Moses' thoughts. He's saying, oh, my Lord, he said, not another day with this crowd. Always moaning about something. Always complaining about something. Thank God the people here don't. But Moses was in trouble. You know, oh, he was so fed up with it. And he said, look, why don't you just kill me? If I found favor in your sight, wipe me out. I'm ready to go. Paul said, it's better for me to stay for your sakes. But Moses is in the wipeout stage at this point. Uh, It's called burnout, which no Holy Ghost-filled minister ever suffers. Anyway, there you are. He's got to that. And the Lord said unto Moses, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, sanctify yourself against the morrow. You shall eat flesh. Okay, now look what God's opinion is of what Moses is doing. Years later, he's saying, you are bearing the burden of the people yourself alone. But 
He'd already appointed captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, and captains of ten. Now what had happened to them? That was man's way, and it didn't work. Man's way will never work. It will never bring about spirituality. The carnal will never bring the spiritual. Whatever way you slice the pie, in the end, you need men of the spirit. Born of the spirit, equipped of the spirit. In the church, there were 70 elders and the spirit of God was poured out on them. Two of them didn't go to the tabernacle. You remember they remained in the camp and the spirit of prophecy fell upon them. Do you remember the story? You see, now what's happened is people always, when God begins to move and when God begins to do things, instead of sticking with what God says, they want to find a method that's easier. It's nice to be able to have a natural method which will take the strain and the responsibility and the weight of the thing off the person on whom God has put it and it'll kind of diffuse things and so they come in with their carnal answer. Business administration. Uh, do this, do that. Don't you know you should do this, you should do that. And, and they wreck the church. And the church of Jesus Christ is wrecked. And whenever there's a revival, it's wrecked. You can preach all the truth without the life and kill people. The gospel has to be a living experience. The word of life has to be in you. You have to be endued with power from on high. And you have, how shall they hear without a preacher but how should he preach except he's sent there's a lot of people out there who have never been sent but they're going out there now the problem is when you get a real move of God and a real move of God let's take William Booth he was a tremendous man of God he went out to the gin palaces in London the founder of the Salvation Army. And he went out to the gin palaces in, in, in London. And about every third house was a gin palace. And, and honestly, alcoholism was a plague in this country uh, because slavery or feudalism um, and the whole way of the structure of our society was just evil. And this man, William Booth, went out and began to preach. And God began to witness and my people were saved. God began, he preached the simple gospel. Then he wrote a book called In Darkest England. And all of a sudden a politician got hold of his book and a politician decided that they needed social reform. And when social reform came... William Booth abandoned the gospel for humanism and social reform. And they began to take out of the gospel the things that counted the cross, the atonement, preach on the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus is going to return, preach on the second coming, and they eradicated the atonement. Now, people like the Mary Shelley's daughter, and this was after his wife had died, all right? Um, 
got hold of it and they resigned. They fought it because she was in Paris at the time, great revival going on in Paris. Um, but then they started moving her around, told her. Uh, he got hold of Wesley's saying that a person has only 150 sermons, and so every three years they started moving the leadership. Every general was moved three years in a place. You've got to move. You've got to move. And then everything was done from the headquarters, and the revival was wiped out. Didn't take a year to stop the revival. Doesn't take long when you bring in a Jethro principle to wipe out what God's doing. See, God does it by his spirit. You know a man of the spirit, thou canst not tell whence he comes or whither he goes. Well, if you can't tell that, how can you make a structure for him? Do you notice in the Bible, they never put a church structure in the New Testament? Why? Because God, by his spirit, says, it's just the foolishness of preaching. There'll people come and hear a preacher, they'll get converted by the incorruptible word of God, it'll transform lives, it'll heal sick bodies, and that's it. And when that man's gone, you'll have a monument, if you've got a structure. But the people of God rise up, they come, they minister, they preach, and they're gone. And when they're gone, if God doesn't raise up another person of the Spirit to take on the work, all you'll have is the monument. You see, you can't structure God. That's the mistake everyone makes. But every man wants to be able, and the devil comes along and says, look, this is the method. You see, the enemy of our souls is always wanting us to turn away from the rulership and lordship of Jesus Christ who said he would build his church and the gates of hell won't prevail. They want us to turn away from him as the source to structure as the source, to method as the source, to revelation as the source instead of to the one who's most important. His name is Jesus. And that's what happens throughout church history. All you've got left is monuments. But what God raises up time after time is individual men who have the light of God and the life of God within their hearts and they'll raise up something different. I remember someone coming to me years ago, about 10 years ago, to say, what happens when you're dead? I said, they'll put me in a cardboard box. I don't care where they dump me. Who cares? They said, no, no, what's going to happen to the church? I said, if it's God's church, he better take care of it. If it's mine, it's best it dies. He said, aren't you preparing for the future? I said, no, I'm living for today. I don't know. I'll tell you this. If Jesus is Lord of his church, won't he take care of it? <laughs> Why is it we have to have all these structures? Because man listens to the devil and the devil says there's an easier way. Take out the cross. Take out the atonement. Take out the blood. 
You don't have to deny yourself. Hey, you know, the church is all right. They'll bless you. Give you a tithe. You, you don't have to be committed. You don't, you don't have to get involved. You don't want to become fanatical. I want to be a Christian. You know the thing that caused my heart to change was a song sung by Mrs. Simpson. God used it. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. I'm amazed that Christians want to hide it. And I want to tell you this, if you won't come to Calvary, and if you won't deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, you cannot be his disciple. Enough of the lies that say you can have everything. Hey, you can have everything if you worship the devil. And I've told you what that means. Finding an easy way. The right way takes longer, but it's eternal. The wrong way gratifies quickly, but soon fades. I want to go God's way. On a hill far away, you say, well, I come to church to get blessed. No, I come to church to find out what God wants of me. I come to church to get healed. No, I come to church to meet the one who's my Lord. I live for him. And I want to walk for him and work for him. That's Christianity. You see, the devils come with the same temptation. That's where the war is. There's an easier way. You don't have to, you know, go to church, pay your time, you know, but you don't have to give your life to it. Oh, no, 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 no. You can have all these, you can have all the blessing, but it won't cost you everything. No, 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 no. That fanatical, my, 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 don't believe that. No, no, Jesus doesn't have to be Lord. You don't have to just listen to him no 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 there's other ways Jesus said I'm the way to be like Jesus that's what it's about amen I want to be like him on a hill far away I hope that hill's not too far from you that's the difference between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God it's the difference between life and death I wonder if you can hear what I'm saying.
Jesus was offered an easier way. He said, Satan, do you know I hear easier ways offered all the time by preachers? You can have your jet plane. You can have your wealth, your riches. God's going to do a miracle for you. And the subtlety of it all is. If so be you've tasted of God, you can. God says all things are yours. You can make a kingdom for yourself. And you'll succeed. But it'll be your kingdom. And you'll be king of it. You can make a life. And it'll be your life. You can get what you want. You will. But there's going to come a day when you're going to face that king. King of kings. He compared the two types of people. The wise man who built his house on the rock. He laid a foundation. Paul says this, I seek to lay no other foundation than that which is laid. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to tell you there's no way around the cross, friend. There's no way of living without self-denial. There's no way you can come in and say, it doesn't matter anymore. Jesus did it all. I can live without it. You can, but you compromise with the devil. There's no way anything will cleanse you but the blood of Jesus. There's no way forgiveness comes but the cross. Why is it that the only way into life is being taken out of the church. And they tell people, oh no, it's time of the Holy Ghost. Now you can come. Just come up, fall over. Receive the Holy Ghost. The world can't receive him. Jesus said so. Whom the world cannot receive. he shall be in you Holy Ghost but he's come to testify of Jesus he's come to let us know him know his nature know his way hey there's healing there's deliverance there's life but not so you can go and live your own life so you can be what he wants you to be I'll cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it one day for a crown. Too many people have taken their crown and thrown away the cross. 
I want a crown that he'll give. I don't know if you can hear what I'm saying. I don't know. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Can you imagine Jesus with all power, all ability? There was a time he went to a pool at Bethesda and he just healed one man, walked out and left the rest. When people asked an explanation of Jesus, he said, Listen, I don't do anything of myself. What I hear the Father say, that's what I say. What I see the Father do, that's what I do. Who are you living for? What wisdom are you using? Have you abandoned God's way because you found an easier one? Wealth and riches, they bring a snare. You know, it's the strangest, most foolish way of all. Foolishness of preaching. Foolishness to believe what God says. Foolishness to go his way. Foolishness to say, well, man's way is no good to me. I've got one question for you. Are you living 100% for Jesus? Have you come to the cross, deny yourself? Or have you found an easier way? Devil's way. And that's my only question. I want to do what he wants. I want to be what he wants. I want to live for him. Amen. Isn't that it? I know it's not a popular message. On a hill far away. 